Um, okay, so Nedra and I were sitting right there the other night, and the news was on, and they were showing um, all of these cargo ships, you know, backed up for miles and miles, hundreds of cargo ships. And, uh, and of course, you can't fly over them because it's no fly zone. So they're trying to do it from the shore. And Nedra says, isn't there something in Revelation about a third of the ships getting, getting destroyed at once? <laughs> wow. Because, you know, we've all read that a million times and you don't actually know the logistics of how that might happen. But to get a third of the ships, you have to assume it's some from all over the world, unless they're all parked in one spot. So that was uh, Revelation 8 9, as it turns out, and a third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third part of the ships were destroyed. And it's a result of a big mountain falling into the water. So I thought that was, that was an easy way to figure that out. Got all the ships parked in one spot because your good buddy Joey has screwed even that up. So, okay. So last week, um, I was struggling with uh, Mark's mom um, being murdered, really, so cruelly at the hands of people in the hospital that you're supposed to trust. And, um, you know, they're, they're just, they're not. They're killing people on purpose, and they know it. And you interview doctors. I mean, hundreds, thousands have quit, doctors and nurses, because they can't do it anymore. You know, and they and then and they know what they're doing, and then they tell you the protocols are all wrong, and they're designed to kill people, and we just can't do it anymore. So this week, um, one of the on that list of books that I gave you and people I listened to and all that stuff, one of the guys I encouraged you to listen to is Rob Skiba, and he's 52 years old, and he's a filmmaker and Lionsgate Productions, and he's a researcher and all-around great guy. Um, he died this week. For exactly the same reason. He had COVID. They sent him to the hospital. They uh, apparently, I bet you any amount of money, they gave him remdesivir because he ultimately died of kidney failure and lung, uh, you know, his lungs, Rob Skiba. Yeah, he died on Wednesday. Um, but first they put him in a coma, medically induced coma. And that's what they do. And they ventilate you and they put you in a coma and they kill you and the longer they can keep you in a coma the more money they make and it's just it's 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 cruel and he, they took him into the, he's lived in dallas and they took him into the hospital and uh he was there for 45 days or something and it, it wouldn't let his wife in to see him i mean he was in a coma for 40 days never let his wife in to see him once not once i mean it's just you know we're talking about Nineveh and how cruel those people were and, 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 and all. And, and I don't honestly see the difference. Um, and that's what's giving me some uh, pause about this whole thing is, you know, I mean, I've got the documents, you've probably got them that says um, there's three ways to treat COVID according to the NIH. Anthony Fauci, did you know he's not the boss of the NIH? He's a director. He's not the boss. And the boss quit a couple of weeks ago because he can't deal with it anymore either. So anyway, Fauci's NIH says there's three ways to treat COVID. Remdesivir, ivermectin, and some other drug I've never heard of. And it gives all the side effects. And the side effects from remdesivir are like pages. It's, you know, 
kidney failure, renal failure, they call it, and lung, you know, all this stuff. And then the side effects for ivermectin is, you know, somebody once tripped over a bedpan and sprained an ankle. And, and they tell you, oh, you can't, you know, it's not approved. Well, it's approved on his own website. Of course it's approved. And then, you know, uh, the, the documentation that says every hospital that prescribes remdesivir gets like 2,400 bucks and the doctor gets a 20% bonus and, you know, and all this stuff. The, the, the remdesivir was a drug designed to treat Ebola. They tried it with four drugs or seven drugs or something. I don't remember, four. And so they did tests of, you know, what, 20 or 30 people with each one or 53 people, I think it was. And they couldn't, remdesivir couldn't even finish the trial. It killed so many people. They had to pull it. It was so dangerous. So Fauci gets up and says, oh, well, you know, it's got a proven record of, you know, it's got a proven record of killing people. And he knows it because it's his studies. It's his NIH that have done those things. So these people are here just trying to kill you. And it's, uh, I mean, you don't let your wife in to see your husband for 45 days in the hospital until he's dead. I mean, that's just cruel. So last week, we looked at some of the background of the book of Yonah uh, and chapter one. Um, I just want to hit a few of those. Uh, if you remember Yonah and his father, the prophet called Amittai, they're from a place that translates as wine press of the well. And if you think of the well as, you know, being um, God, salvation, and that stuff, this is the wine press. And it should engender pictures of the book of revelation and the things that are to come it, it should show you that this is a prophetic book not just a you know this happened to this guy on the way to work that day um, we looked at the time frame it was 760 ish bc so it was just 30 40 years before the uh, <clears throat> before the lord scattered his people and he was scattering them to assyria which nineveh is the biggest city in so it makes perfect sense that he knew ahead of time he was going to do that, and he had to sort of prepare the ground. And that's basically what the book of Fiona is about. Um, he, we, I, I, I made the supposition that he would have known the prophecies from uh, uh, Second Kings about the destruction of Israel and the coming uh, bad things. Uh, he would have firsthand knowledge of the cruelty of the people of Nineveh because, of course, they lived right next door. You know, the cutting off of the ears, the pulling out of the tongues, the gouging out of the eyes, the skinning of them alive. They put the hook through the jaw, you know, and transport the people that way. Uh, I mean, they were cruel, but they're no more cruel than the people today who are doing, you know, it's uh, I'm, okay. We discovered the book is not really about Yonah. And it's not really about Nineveh. It's about God, Yahweh, because he's mentioned 38 times. Yonah, I think 14, 13, 12, something. I don't know. Nineveh, a similar number. Um, and I just want to read the verse in Matthew again. Matthew 12, starting in 38, it says, And certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there no sign shall be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And that's repeated again in Matthew 16, verse 4. We looked at some of the Hebrew words. Jonah was, uh, in English, it might say, asked to preach. or Anyway, the, the word in Hebrew is actually a cost. He was to go cost the people in Nineveh with the, uh, 
the fact that they were about to be destroyed if they didn't get their act together. We looked at uh, Yona's absolute, utter, complete failure. And even in failure, the Lord used that to save all the people on the ship. Um, so, you know, you're not going to frustrate the Lord's plans, even by our weakness and failure. Can you we, tell me what verses were on? Uh, that was last week. You'd have to listen to it again. Oh. I'm just recapping last week. Okay. We're going to take off in chapter two here for a minute. Um, we talked about the fact, and this will play into tonight, is that Yonah can be seen as representative of the nation of Israel or the people of Israel. He can be seen as representative of, of Yahuwah himself. And I think he can be seen as representative of us. We talked about he was not willing to jump off the boat, even though this was all his fault. But he said to the sailors, throw me over and the sea will be calm. And how that's exactly what we do. You know, as long as our sins are quiet, nobody's the wiser. Uh, talked about three days and 40 days. You know, three days is basically the authority of God. And 40 days is always something big is about to happen after the 40 days. So here we are at chapter two. So we'll start in chapter two, the book of Yona. Um, and it's interesting that uh, it doesn't say who wrote the book of Yona and Chapters one, three, and four are sort of narrated. If he wrote it, he wrote it in the third person. But chapter two is first person. He, this is him talking. And it's not unusual for scriptures. You know, Moshe did it all the time where he would write in the third person. But there is some discussion about who wrote this. Did, did God write this? Is he, is he making an account of the things of Fiona? Because the book talks about uh, Jonah's failures, as well as God's actions. So the question is, well, if he was writing the book, would he have written it about his failures? And, I, and again, scripture is replete with stuff like that, where the, the failures of man are often written. But it it's just interesting that chapter two is the chapter that seems to be written in the first person. So let's start with verse one of chapter two. And it says, then Yonah prayed unto Yahweh Elohim out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of, of my affliction unto Yahuwah. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou hearest my voice, which uh, is, is, is also a picture. You know, you can apply a lot of this stuff to Yeshua, you know, because this is the story of Yeshua as he's being crucified because he went down into Sheol and that's uh, a lot of your Bibles in verse two will say out of the belly of Sheol cried I and thou heardest my voice um, you know and many people believe that uh, Jonah didn't just ride in the fish like a you know tour boat for three days that he was dead and the Lord resurrected him. And, and to me, that makes sense because the two times he refers to this event, that's what happened to him. He, he died and was uh, raised. So plus the way this is written sort of indicates that uh, Yonah was dead and that the Lord resurrected him. But you can believe what you want on that. Uh, verse three, for thou who the people who cast him in had cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas. The floods compassed me about 
All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again towards the holy temple. And again, these are the words of Jonah, but these could be the words of Yeshua. This is exactly the same thing that happened to him. So, you know, the, after you finish chapter two, the question might be, who's, who's actually saying this? Is it Jonah or Yeshua? Uh, the word cast out is garage. It's used a number of times in the scripture. Adam and, and Eve were garaged out of Eden. Um, three times it's translated as divorced. Um, you know, and there's 30 or 40 other times uh, raise up statues and, you know, and all sorts of things. Um, so it's, it's interesting if, if Yona, well, either one, if Yona is saying this, or if Yeshua is saying this, um, the condition of the party being thrown overboard or being crucified, being killed or being trapped in a fish being a result of sin or, or having everyone's sin put on you doesn't jeopardize their final destination. If, if Yona was writing this, he wasn't saying, you know, am I going to get to heaven because of my sin? He knew he was going to see the holy temple again. There was no question. And there was no question in his mind that his personal failure was a sin, but it didn't jeopardize his final destination. And I think that's key, maybe not so much for this group, but there are a lot of Christians who think, oh my gosh, I've sinned and I'll never get to heaven or God will reject me or that's absolutely not true. You know, look at David. He did horrible things and he was a man after God's own heart. That's not, you know, you, you can't really, um, I suppose you could, but you can't really sin yourself out of heaven if your heart is for the things of the Lord. And certainly Jonah's was, but his trajectory was wrong and God had to fix it. And that's no different than anybody in this room. You know, our trajectory has been off, uh, certainly I bet more than one time and the Lord has fixed it. Yep. Yeah, it did. It did. And he prayed and he cried and he wept until that child died. And then that's okay. If the Lord sought fit to take him, then that child's in heaven and I'll see him later. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, there's often a consequence, but, but the consequence does not usually involve you losing your salvation, right? If, if your heart is for him, I don't believe you can send yourself out of heaven if your truly heart is for him. Okay. So verse five, the the waters compassed me about even to the soul and the depth closed around about me, and the seaweed was wrapped around my head, and I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever, yet you has brought me up, my life from corruption, O Yahuwah Elohim. And this word translated as corruption is shukah, which really means to humble or bow down. So if you think about it like that, you have brought my life, you have humbled me. This this entire event has humbled me, as I would assume it would have somewhat humbled Yeshua to have to go through all of the things he went through for us, being loaded down with our sin, being taken to Sheol, you know, the whole story. Okay, verse 7, when my soul fainteth within me, I remembered, Aleph Tov, Yahuwah, and my prayer came into thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. 
I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of Yahuwah. So it really says Yeshua is of Yahuwah. So this is the thing. What did, what, what did Yonah vow? What was his vow? Because I never got that. Salvation is of Yahuwah, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. And if you read this, it sounds more like Yeshua is saying this than Jonah. And that's, you know, you read this whole thing in context and you, you kind of get the impression either one of them could have been saying this. Um, <clears throat> so if you notice in Yonah's prayer, there's not one bit of petition. He never says, uh, get me out of this, dry me out, save me, bring me back and put me on the boat. None of that stuff, which is exactly what we would be doing, I would think. You know, because I've heard the prayers here, and, it, and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray that way. We should. And, you know, Paul and everybody tells us that we should pray constantly about everything. But this prayer is not about save me. This prayer is about God. He's, he's thank, thankful for who God is. He's thankful even for his situation, as bad as it might be, because his expectation was that he would soon be in the holy temple of Yahuwah. And again, Yonah, Yeshua, you know, you do the math. Uh, Yonah's life was humbled. His soul was clothed in darkness within him. And uh, I tend to believe that there was no petition in this prayer because he was totally humble. He was completely, and again, I, you know, was that Yeshua or was that Yonah or was it both? I think it's a great example for how prayer should be made. We all have... Um, things and friends and events and you know stuff that we should well bring before the lord and i'm not saying you know not to do that but this is a is a is a great example of thanksgiving and whether it's yona or yeshua they were in the midst of serious tribulation and maybe physical death they both are described as being in sheol and both of their prayers are prayers of thanksgiving they're not prayers of get me out of this. So it's, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's worth remembering that kind of prayer. Um, verse 10, and Yahuwah spoke unto the fish and it vomited out Aleph Tov, or resurrected, Yonah upon the dry land. So whether he was dead or just got a ride, I don't know. Um, I, I tend to think that he died and was resurrected. I tend to think that um, Paul was stoned in Athens and resurrected and, you know, doesn't matter what I think, but uh, so verse three, and the word of Yahuwah came unto Yonah a second time saying, so Yahuwah gave Yonah a second chance and he's provided us with how many second chances and third and fourth and fifth and 10th and 50th chances. Um, that's who he is. He's, you know, he's, he's the God of second chances, and we gratefully accept all of his uh, mercy in our lives and recognize often, and sometimes I'm sure we don't recognize, that he's giving us another chance. You know, we're, we're getting a mulligan on what we did, and he's going to overlook that, and as long as our heart remains for him, it's good. But sometimes we struggle, or at least sometimes I struggle with and this is you know this is the this is the crux of the book struggle with 
God's mercy in other people's lives. How can he save those people? Don't, doesn't he know what they've done? And, you know, he, he, we have to understand he provides the wicked with the same opportunity that he provided us with because we were wicked at one point and he provided enough opportunities time and time and time again for us to get to that spot. So why would we begrudge somebody else? Um, so I see the, the tremendous evil that, that seems to be going on around us. And I mean, the sense, literally the senseless murder of completely innocent people. I, for no other reason than they trusted the doctors or they trusted the hospitals. And, and these people have no excuse. I mean, they, they all know that they're killing people and yet they don't want to lose their jobs or they get, you know, they get a commission check or, I mean, it's sick. And it's, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't even know how to explain it. Maybe they, don't think their evil deeds will ever come to light. Maybe they really don't think they're doing evil things. Maybe they believe all of the, but they, but they see it day in and day out. They have to know the result. So any, anyway, Yona received mercy from the Lord. I mean, in a big way, I think he was resurrected. You're not going to receive any more grace and mercy than that. And he was reluctant to give that mercy. And if you've, you know, we, we've all read that book. And, and every, if, if you've ever had a pastor speak on this book, my guess is, I've never heard a pastor speak on it, but my guess would be that would be the lesson is, you know, we need to give mercy as we've received mercy. And that's all fine and well. But what happens if you get to heaven and you find Bill Gates or Joe Biden or Tony Fauci is your next door neighbor. I mean, seriously, it's not up to you. And, and that's the thing that I've been struggling with. If it was Hitler or Stalin or Mao, you know, I could see the glorious hand of God working in the salvation of this ultimate sinner, because that was before my time. It didn't really affect me. I didn't know people who suffered through. I've read the books and they're tragic and I've seen the pictures and they're just heartbreaking. But this stuff is affecting me. It's people I know. And it's, it's, it's so pointless. It has to be as pointless as anything any of those guys did. And I'm, you know, I'm struggling with that. I want to see, you know, how many times have people here prayed over the last eight or longer? Um, Lord, bring their, their deeds to light. And the only reason we pray that is because we think if their deeds come to light, there will be punishment. So what we're asking really is, Lord, punish those people for doing what they're doing. And I don't see any sackcloth and ashes. I don't see any repentance. All I see is lies and murder and taking of money. And I guess I want to see some repentance before I want to see some salvation. But it's not up to me. So verse 2 of um, chapter 3, I'm guessing. Arise and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. 
So Yonah arose and went to Nineveh according oh no, to the word of Yahuwah. Um, I'm sure that's what it said. <sighs> okay, so what verse are we in? <sighs> when you have oversized thumbs, stuff happens. Um, okay, so, so Yonah rose and went into Nineveh according to the word of Yahuwah. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. Well, okay. What does that mean? It's going to take him three days to get there? Or the city is so big, it's going to take him three days to walk through it? So it's about time that we look and see what it really says. Or three days in a fish. There's three days all over this. There's 40 days all over this. There's, you know, there's all these, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. There's Yahoo all over this. It says, Nineveh Elohim Gadol Ayar Shalash Yom Mahalak. Now, you know a lot of these words. You don't think you do. Nineveh, you know. Elohim, you know. Gadol, you might know. It means great or, you know, oversized or something. Ayar is the word for city. And if you remember when you talked about Judas Iscariot, um, we talked about the city, Ayar. Shalosh, the number three. Yom, you know, is day. And Mahalak is journey. So what it really says is Nineveh, God's great city, three days walk. Nineveh, God's great city, three days walk. Huh. So Nineveh is God's great city. And there's a three-day walk, which is across it, apparently not to it. But why is it God's great city? Because it doesn't read that way in English. There's no translation I could find that's, I mean, those are the actual words. Those are the Hebrew words. Nineveh, God's great city, three days walk. Don't know. But I think there's more to this whole Nineveh thing than we're giving it. And again, from our perspective, thousands of years later, 2,500 years later, 2,700 years later, um, we already know that he's going to scatter his people where? In Assyria, which is Nineveh may not have been the capital, but it was the largest city of Assyria. He's sending his people there in just a matter of a couple of decades. So logically, he has to prepare the ground, right? He's got something. There's a purpose in him sending them, in him scattering them, and they're not going to go willingly. So that means he's got to send somebody to get them. But he can't send somebody to get them that's going to kill them because he needs them. So he has to prepare these people. And I'm just wondering, it says God's great city. And it's three days walk across it. You know, just, just coincidentally, it's three days. So anytime you see three, remember, it's the power and authority of God. So I'm just thinking there's some preparing of the ground here because he already knows what his plan is. He already knows what's going to happen. Yonah doesn't know. Amittai doesn't know. But he knows. Okay, verse 4. And Yonah began to enter the city a day's journey. So apparently it was a day's journey from where he was barfed up on the beach to Nineveh. And I don't get that because it's a bunch of miles. But be that as it may. 
Yonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So this is why he didn't want to go there, because he knew the Ninevites, and he knew what was going to happen to him, and he didn't want to be skinned alive. He didn't want to have his ears cut off and his eyes pulled out and his tongue pulled out. And this would be the kind of message that might get that treatment. Yonah began to enter the city a day's journey and cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And of course, if it's not three days, it's 40 days. It's always these ideas and 40 days. Every time you see 40, there's an event that happens. And typically it's not a good thing. But at the end of the 40 days, God does something huge. Or at the end of the 40 whatevers, God does something huge. And this is no different. 40 days is this idea of a great work is coming. And in Yonah's mind, he's thinking this great work is he's going to nuke the place and get rid of all these people. But that's not exactly what he had in mind. Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed Elohim and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water lest a man or a beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto Elohim. Yea, let him turn everyone from his raw evil way and from the violence Hamas that is in their hands. Who can tell if Elohim will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And Yahuwah saw, Aleph their works, and they turned from their evil ways and Yahuwah repented of the evil rah, that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Well, that's quite a story. Who would have made that bet? Uh, Jeremiah 18, verse 8, it said, If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. So this is not some, you know, weird coincidence. This is, this is how the Lord operates. And it's, it's true with giant cities. It's true with nations. It's true with people groups. It's true with towns and cities and individuals. If all of a sudden we have garnered the wrath of God one way or another, but we repent from our evil ways, he will say, I'll, I'll stop. I won't do it. And that obviously should be the goal. And that's what happened here. But how is that even possible? I mean, this nation, to say they're pagan, does a giant injustice to the word pagan. They are awful, horrible, terrible, murderous, villainous, evil people that have no respect for human life. And all of a sudden they just turn and repent. <laughs> it kind of sounds that way. So anything's possible. We could see a big, you know, repentance. I don't know. But it had to be in the message. Yeah. I mean, that was a heck of a sermon. 
repent or in 40 days you die. Now, who's going to buy that? There's always a guy at the corner in Santa Barbara anyway, up on a soapbox as you're walking down State Street and going to the wharf. He's always out there proclaiming something. The end is near. You know, if you don't get your act together, you're going to be smitten. Whatever. Well, this book, as I mentioned, isn't about Yonah. Certainly didn't give an awesome message. And it's not really even about Nineveh. It's about God. So if you remember, and this should be one of the things we talk. And oh, by the way, I got the vision. So we'll talk later. It's, it's like an arrowhead. It's a, it's a reverse tree. I got it figured out. God gave it to me as we were praying. Um, or somebody did. Um, so the disciples were scattered, right? I mean, they, they went on these missionary journeys. Open the back of your Bible. See the red lines. See where they went. Missionary journeys of Paul, you know, Timothy. All these guys went here and here. Where did they go? Well, they went to speak to the, you know, to the pagans in, in Athens and Rome and the Areopolis. And no, they went to speak to the house of Israel. It was scattered among all the cities in Assyria. And of course, their message was received with great joy because these people had been ostracized from their God and their country for 800 years. They'd been waiting for this message. The woman at the well, the Samaritan on his way to, you know, they'd been waiting to hear this. They naturally received it with great joy. Well, this is the same sort of situation. You look at this and go, this is crazy. Some splotchy, fish-smelling Jew is going to walk through this murderous, evil, pagan city with 120,000 people in it and say, if you don't repent, God is going to smite you. And by the way, a God they don't even believe exists. And they all just fall to the ground and repent. Obviously, there's more to that story. So when we look at the history, there is more to that story. Because Yahuwah knew he was going to scatter his people. He was going to have the Assyrian army in about 30 years come and conquer the 10 tribes and take them back to Assyria. But he was going to take them back to Assyria so they would assimilate with the people and they would scatter all over the then known world so that when the time came, God's people would already be everywhere. So he had to soften the ground up, right? Shock and awe, I guess. So if you look at the history of all this stuff, the first thing you'll notice is there have been a couple of eclipses. And that freaks out people of those times. All of a sudden, the sun disappears, and all you know is God is mad. You don't even know who the God is, but you can see in the heavens, this is not a good thing. Then there had been famines in the 12 years preceding Jonah's visit. For the last 100 years, they had been moving away from the pantheon of gods that they had towards a monotheistic sort of thing uh, under Queen Semiramis and her son, Adad Naari, uh, they had been dropping gods from the pantheon, working towards 
a monotheistic sort of religion, but they didn't really know which God it was yet, but they knew there's really only one. So <clears throat> these previous 12 years, Nineveh had been experiencing a serious plague. Their army had been seriously depleted um, and they didn't know why. They, you know, they, uh, it was just sort of reinforcing the idea that this God they did not know was unhappy and they knew they needed to somehow appease him and get on his side because they were trying to stave off the utter destruction of their country. Then there were other issues afoot. This was about the time of uh, these countries over in Europe, Rome and Greece started getting, you know, they were getting their feet wet in the whole conquering the world thing. And Greece and Rome and Babylon and some of these other nations, when they would come in and conquer the country, certainly there was, you know, there, there was some abuse that went on and uh, people suffered. But for the most part, their goal was, was not to annihilate, injure, or damage the populace. It was to bring them into the fold so that these people could be trusted to hold the country and pay the tribute and pay the. If you kill everybody or maim them, there's no money in that. And all of these countries knew that. And, and Assyria is looking at all this and wondering why are we doing the things we're doing? And I'm certain there had to be people there that were not, you know, 100% comfortable with just the physical abuse, the sheer cruelty that they did. So all this is going on in Nineveh, right? So you've got an eclipse, you've got another famine, you've got people dying left and right. And into this walks this fish smelly, splotchy Jew who had just hitched a ride inside of a giant fish to get there saying, Hey, you have 40 days before God destroys you. They've already been expecting God to destroy them. And he's saying, unless you repent. So they did, you know, and God always works this stuff out and he makes it look so easy. Right. But he was upset but god had been at work for a hundred years preparing for this day because he had to get everything just right because he knew he was going to use these people to do the most important thing in the history of history and that was to scatter his word all around the world he needed to get his and they wouldn't do this on their own and this is the story of the jewish people forever but they would never do it on their own you know he would always say be separate and they wouldn't they would intermarry and they would do all this stuff so all through history the lord has to send something to grab the Jews. Maybe it's a Hitler. Maybe it's a Queen Isabel. Maybe it's a whatever. And somebody passes a law that they have to go through and collect all the Jews and put them in a ghetto because the Jews would not stay separate on their own. So God had to do something. So this is 
the difference. This, this is the opposite. God needed them to take his word all around the world. And they're going, oh, no, no, I'm good here. Thanks. Well, no, no, you, you didn't hear me. I need you to go take my word around the world. Remember the, the you know, Judea and Samaria thing, you know, go everywhere. No, no, we're good. Okay, if you won't do it, I will. And he did. He would. He knew he had to because he had picked this small group of stiff-necked people to take his word all around the world. And that was the way it was going to be done. So he had to get them to move all around the world. And this is how he's going to do it. So you read the story of Jonah. And it's, you know, it's the story of a guy and a fish, right? But it's not. It's the story of a God who had a job to do and his people wouldn't do it. So he set up the exact situation in exact the right ways at exactly the right time so that what he asked him to do in the first place would be accomplished. And isn't that the way it is with us? You know, oh, I want you to do this. Ah, I think that's an earwax thing. I didn't really hear that. No, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm busy on Thursday. Couldn't we do this another day? You know, I want you to worship on the Sabbath. Oh, gosh, you know, I got a game to go to. How about if we do it on Sunday? Okay. Chapter four. But it displeased, and interesting, that word is ra'ah, ra, evil, ale. Displeased is evil towards. Ale means, you know, it's a, you know what I mean. But it displeased Yonah exceedingly, which again is ra'al godal, and he was very angry. In Hebrew, it sort of reads evil towards Yonah very evil, fiery. He was mad. He was hot under the collar. This is not a good situation. He did not want to be this guy. He did not want to be used as the savior of those people. Look, I have a gig going at home. I've got a nice church. I got people who come. Let's do that. I am not going to go save the Hitlers and the Maos and the Stalins of the world, don't use me for that. And he prayed unto Yahuwah, and I should just say that word is, it, there's, there are several words for prayer in, in Hebrew. This is not one. It's palal. It means to judge. So he judged Yahuwah and said, I pray. Now here's a word for prayer, anah. And he said, I pray unto the Yahuwah, uh, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled unto Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious Elohim and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. He knew what would happen. Therefore now, O Yahuwah, take... Uh, take <laughs> Therefore now, O Yahuwah, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. I do not want to be the guy you use to save those people. I would rather be dead because then I know I'll be standing in the Holy Temple. And it kind of puts it into perspective. You know, Yonah in his eye, he can't be seen, he can't go home 
and say, I was the instrument God used to save those people. Yeah, you know, those people who cut off the ears and gouged out the eyes and pulled out the tongue and skinned your brother, you know, those guys. Oh, yeah, God used me to save them. How awesome is that? He would rather be dead. And I kind of get that. And then Yahuwah says, do you do well to be angry? And we'll get to this. He doesn't answer. So Yonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city where he made a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. He was going to go out there and park his butt on the mountain and watch the city for 40 days and hope Yahuwah destroyed it. Because then he could go home and say, I'm the guy Yahuwah used to destroy those guys. But he knew Yahuwah's character and that if they repented, he would not destroy them. And he couldn't be seen as the one who went home and said, I'm the instrument of their salvation. I get that. And then Yahuwah Elohim prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Yonah, that it might shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Yonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Because you know where Nineveh is, right? This is Mosul, Iraq. It's 125 degrees on a pretty average summer day there. This is not a place you want to live. And he's sitting out in the desert, watching, waiting, hoping. Yahuwah is going to destroy these people. So Yahuwah sends him a gourd, big leaves, puts him in the shade. He's relieved of his grief. He was exceedingly glad of the gourd. But Elohim prepared a worm when the morning arose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that Elohim prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Yonah, and he fainted, and he wished himself to die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And Yahuwah said unto Yonah, Dost thou do well to be angry from the gourd? And he said, Yes. I do well to be angry even unto death. I get that. You cannot save those people. They murdered my brother. They, they're after my people. They're after your people. You can't save them. I don't want to be a part of that. You know, and sometimes it seems like, um, it just seems like sometimes Yahuwah is against us. You know, it's like, what did I do to deserve this? But more than that, what did he do to deserve that? You know, I try to be good and I get this and these people are evil and they get your grace and mercy. I mean, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And I, you know, I'm sure all you super spiritual people out there will say, well, what's she talking about? But I mean, seriously, you've all been there. I know you don't have to admit it. I don't want to see any hands, but we've all been there. It's sometimes it just doesn't seem fair. Then said Yahuwah, thou hast had pity on the gourd for which you had not labored, neither made it grow when it came up at night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, where are, there are more than six score thousand, 120,000 people that cannot discern 
between their right hand and their left hand. And the way this reads, I think, is, and they can't tell the difference between the sheep and the cattle. They have no clue. You know, we all know. We, we know who God is, and we have to choose every day how to live our lives and every moment. You know, should I do this? Should I do that? What does he want me to do? How, you know, all that stuff. These people don't know any of this. You know, Fauci, Gates, Biden, and whoever are pulling all their strings, Klaus Schwab, and all those guys are killing millions of people in a horrible way. And I don't know what their ultimate goal is. You know, they're, I know one of their goals, Gates has said it a hundred times on every TV show you can imagine, when he says, we're going to reduce the population of the world through healthcare and vaccines. And the Jimmy Fallons of the world just go, huh, oh, that sounds nice. And they go on to, you know, something else. Nobody says, wait, what do you mean? Reduce the population of the world through healthcare and vaccines. You know, in, 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 the, in the carved in the granite in the Georgia Guidestones, population of the world should not exceed 500 million people. So who's going to kill seven and a half billion people? And who gets to choose who the 500 million are? You know, I don't know what the plan of all this is. I know it's not good. I know people are dying. More people are dying from the action jackson than from the flu. I don't know. Is it, is it an attempt to kill all those people? I suspect not. I suspect it's an attempt to kill a lot of people. I mean, let's face it. We got to get rid of all the old people because they just cost money. You've got Social Security and welfare and Medicare and Medicaid. And, you know, I mean, if 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 Cuomo can kill 60,000 old people, he's saving trillions and trillions of dollars. That's, you know, that's a no brainer. Right. So we got to kill all the old people and then we have to sterilize all the young people because they got to quit breeding. We got to get the population down. But. The technology exists to inject you with stuff that can be um, manipulated by 5G. I mean, there's already a birth control pill. Pill, it's not a pill. It's an injection. You, you, you know, you you take the shot, and it lies dormant in your body until you send it a signal from your 5G phone, and it activates. Okay, that's. I mean, that's today's technology. So they want to inject you with a bunch of stuff that you have no idea what it is. They won't tell you what's in it. They won't tell you what it does. While they're trying to put up all these 5G towers, they've invented all these cures for the disease that kill more than they cure. What if they're trying to kill off a whole bunch of people like they've said they want to, and they're going to turn everybody else into a Stepford wife? Because after they've got this injected in you and they can, you know, 5G you into thinking whatever it is you want to think or they want you to think. Have you seen the videos of the lady with the microscope and the, you know, and, and the critters that's, that come together? And she says they're self-aware, these little squid-like devices. It's freaky. You know, nobody knows what's, what, what's in it or what they're doing. These are the Ninevites of, the, of today, and they're cruel, and they're uncaring. And they're focused only on what they can get and what they want. 
And it's no different than Jonah. And this is what I'm struggling with is um, God is saying, I can't feel this way. I'm supposed to love my enemies. I'm supposed to treat them the way God treated me. I'm supposed to let God work it out. And I don't know if I can. I mean, it's not right. But God knows. And I don't know. Yona says, you know, do you do well to be angry? He said, yes, I do well to be angry. And I do well to be angry. I don't want these people because I don't see anybody standing in the gap. I don't see this ever. You know, we pray, oh, it comes to light. Well, it is to light and nothing's happening. Nobody's doing anything. And so Yona is sitting out there waiting, hoping, maybe praying that Yahuwah smites all these evil, cruel people, which is exactly what we're saying when we pray, I hope these evil deeds come to light. We don't care if they come to light. We just want them punished. We want it stopped. It's not going to happen. I've read the end of the book. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It'll be up here. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for therein thou judgest another. Thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest does the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that thou judgment which do such things, and that does the same, that thou shall escape the judgment of God? You know, we've probably read that in maybe NIV or something easier to understand. And we think, oh yeah, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't judge those people. It's in God's domain. And then when you live it, and you see people you know being murdered in a, in a, in a I mean, the, the, it's under color of authority. That's a capital offense, and it should be. When you have people in authority, they can't use their authority to do things that they shouldn't do, and yet it's happening everywhere all around us. And it's going to continue to happen, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I'm not supposed to judge that. I struggle with this because it needs to be judged. Matthew 5:44 says, "But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you." You read that and it's all well and good until you're in the middle of it. How do you do that? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> And I don't know that I can. And my hope is, like Jonah, if he's thrown off the boat and he drowns and he's got seaweed around his head, he's in, the, he's in Sheol, it says, he's in hell. But he says, Lord, I know I will be in your holy temple. I can cling to that. 
I don't know if I can do any better than Jonah did. But in the beginning, I said, it's not about Jonah. It's not about Nineveh. It's about God. And the message is pretty clear that I need to figure out how to do that. And I don't know how to do that. Yeah, eventually. And eventually all these people are going to pay the price. And I get that. But if I get a mansion next to Bill Gates, I'm going home. There's something wrong. This isn't the place I was promised. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O Elohim. Yea, thy Torah is within my heart. And I say that, and I believe that. But I don't know. There's something that tells me. I don't know how to explain it. I'm just going to...